Hello and welcome to 7-Minute Opinions. I'm Mary Birnbaum, and this week I'd like to tell you about my relationship with the happiest place on earth. I think I've been to Disneyland 20 times since the presidential election last November. I live just 15 minutes from the park, and most days I wait till school is out so I can take my daughters with me, but I also go alone. When I have an afternoon off, I drive over and park in the adjacent mall. I walk to the park's turnstiles in a sort of fugue. Inside the park, in the battery of smells and noise and light, I am calmed. And through the cotton candy haze, I have formed a theory to answer for my obsession. One that I think extrapolates to a broader American problem. And I know this just sounds like a desperate woman's attempt to justify an infantile fixation with Disneyland, which is also true. But hear me out. This is how it is. I step onto the cobblestone sidewalk, and a false town unfurls ahead. Somewhere nearby, a train whistle blows. The machinery of the steam engine begins to catch and clack and catch. A pole rises in the middle of the Main Street roundabout. At the top, an American flag rolls and snaps. Slowly, I move into the throng. I have not come here for rides at all. I have come because I love a well-told story. Main Street Disneyland is supposed to replicate the Central Avenue of Marceline, Missouri, where Walt Disney grew up. He aimed to evoke the year 1910, the era of his grandparents, which he referred to as simpler and safer. Of course, nothing is ever truly simple or safe, but the fabrication of a better bygone time is so complete that we can almost taste the memory, even if we weren't there. We've absorbed stories about America's place on the right side of history. The memory of our national goodness is as close as the smell of burnt sugar and popcorn butter and the sweat of Clydesdales. The buildings lining Main Street are painted the pastels of saltwater taffy. Mansard roofs sit atop their facades like sturdy hats. Striped awnings sweep out from eaves like ladies' skirts. Their scalloped edges ruffle prettily in the breeze. And in the air everywhere there is a song, a never-ending song, something jaunty from back then. After the 2016 election, I took to the internet like a fiend, looking for answers. I had never used Twitter before, and yet suddenly I found myself refreshing it like I had a tick. I read the news and any blog I could find, trying to dismantle the election riddle to pop my own bubble. And I slowly awakened to a new disconcerting reality. That Trump voters weren't just a couple dudes in rumpled KKK robes who'd been living in caves since the alleged end of Jim Crow. They were people we knew had found a way to look past hate speech and buffoonery because they'd been sold a promise. That though we had gone to bed in black and white, we would wake up in the technicolor version of our great American past. The trouble with U.S. history, as invoked by President Trump's marketers, is that like all beguiling stories, it's an elaborate fiction that presents us as the people we think we are, but whom we have never been. And that sort of nostalgic illusion, well, that's where Disneyland comes in. For the past year, this signature has announced the opening of Disneyland the show. Now it announces the opening of Disneyland the place. When Walt Disney conceived Disneyland, he sought to manifest a place of simultaneous forgetting and remembering. Disneyland is big enough to get lost in, grand enough to be immersive. There's no hint of the external world, no freeway noise, no horns, no sirens of any kind. A person can walk and walk for hours without stopping. 
though they will ultimately be walking in circles. There are no street corners in the park. Where sidewalks should meet at right angles, instead they curve. That detail was executed to soften the feel of the park by literally eliminating hard edges. It is in this peculiar, pretend place that I think I can meet the person who voted for Trump. I meet them in the simplistic dream of safety and calm. There is no nuance, no complexity at Disneyland. There's only a beautiful fiction. America, or a pretty version of it, has been so carefully constructed in this place that for the length of a visit, it's possible to imagine our country is a fixed idea. This is not an attempt to infantilize Trump voters. I know there are many of them who are kinder and smarter than I. But I know something about the dance of Disneyland. I have made something like an ethnography of it, and I think it's analogous to the tricks of the Trump campaign. You see, Trump made a platform of simplistic reasoning, designed for those exhausted by the rigors of political correctness and critical thought. He didn't have to be eloquent. He was, in fact, strategically inarticulate. Linguists have described his style, one riddled with non-sequiturs and fragments, as effectively conveying a feeling rather than a specific message. With varying degrees of coherence, he reduced American unhappiness to a battle of us versus them, a stance both internally and internationally isolationist with terror as a backdrop. So yes, I go to Disneyland to still my anxious heart, to reduce the post-election clatter of my mind. But I know that even the simplest place, the so-called happiest place, cannot really claim that distinction. 1955 wasn't simple and safe enough for Walt Disney. He tried to reconstruct 1910. Now millions of Americans are trying to get back to 1955 or any year when they think they were not afraid. Disneyland cannot escape complexity because its very genius is an attention to detail and the close reproduction of reality. And reality is inevitably complex. And that does it for this episode of 7-Minute Opinions. Look out for new episodes every Tuesday on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And as a thank you for listening to this episode, we'd like to give you four totally free, non-commitment issues of The Week magazine. To get those, visit theweek.com slash for free. I'm Mary Birnbaum, and thanks so much for listening.